Romans chapter 10. And, uh, you know, you guys know in the, in the book of Acts, there's that story about the apostle Paul preaching till midnight, and Eutychus fell out, fell out of the window and broke his neck. And when I was a kid, preachers would always say uh, this little joke, you know why they called him Eutychus? And they said, no, Eutychus too, he fell out of the window and broke your neck. <laughs> Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have, not, whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. Now let's pray together. Father, we pray these things in Christ's name that you will bless this sermon. And it would be anointed with the Holy Spirit's help, Lord. And I pray it should be with me as I try to give this sermon. I ask it in Christ's lovely and blessed name. Amen. You can be seated. And here in Romans chapter 10, I'm going to give you a sermon about preaching the promise, about proclaiming the promise. And I admit, I've had quite a bit of difficulty getting this sermon squared away because of the, what, what I'm going to say at the end, what I'm going to say at the end. Now, I want to talk about preaching the promise, and I want to talk about preaching, and I want to try to do it in a way that exalts God and not man in doing it. This is, this is a little bit difficult because it's like preaching a sermon about what you do for a living and showing the, the good parts of it. And the Lord saved me when I was 15 years old. He called me to preach when I was 16 years old. But I did not surrender to preach until I was 18 years old because being a preacher looked like a pretty sorry job and I didn't want to do it. And so the Lord showed me in his many providences that that's what he wanted me to do with my life was to be a preacher. Now, I've been sorely tested in this, uh, in this matter because being a preacher is like all jobs. All jobs, let's say, all, how many, how many, would you guys agree with this? Every job has parts of it that are fairly fun and enjoyable. There's some you know, payday. <laughs> Your last day. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's other parts of jobs that are just not fun at all. The things you don't really care for. And, uh, and every job is like that. And being a, being a preacher is like that. There are good, good parts to it and parts that are less, are less enjoyable. But this work the Lord has given to me to do is essential to Christianity. And this sounds like kind of braggadocio, but it, it's a true thing. This work, this vocation that God has given me to do, is essential to Christianity. It is through preaching that God has carried His Word around the world. Through preaching, through the voices of men called by God, and empowered by God, ordained by God, anointed by God to carry the word throughout the world. And so when you get to reading books written by preachers about preachers, you'll see statements like this. Being a preacher is the greatest job in the world. It's the highest office a man can hold. Uh, it's well said by an old preacher of old times. He said he wouldn't stoop. He wouldn't step down from being a pastor to be a president of a nation. 
because it's, it's a lower calling. So this, this, is a, this is an interesting business to be a, be a part of, but it has some good parts to it. And the best part about it, really, is the message that we proclaim in verse number 13. This is the message of the Lord. Everyone who believes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the, this is the primary thing that preachers are supposed to be consumed with, and that's the preaching of the gospel. That's telling sinners they can be reconciled to God without any effort of their own. The whole world we live in is seduced by this idea of works righteousness. If I do a lot of good stuff, then I'll become good enough to go to heaven. And that's not going to cut it. Your righteousness is like a filthy rag. It is tainted. It's spoiled. It's defiled. Anything you do on your own apart from Christ is not going to satisfy God. The only way you can be reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ, through belief in his death, burial, and resurrection, and that he did that for you and that you need redemption. So this is, this is the message we proclaim. We proclaim a promise. Is that whoever would believe on Christ will be saved. And some people may say, well, I don't know if I really agree with that. Well, the Bible says that no one, no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So this is sufficient. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, if, if your gospel preaching doesn't get you accused of being an antinomian, At the end, he says you haven't done it right because salvation is free. It's a free gift. It's freely offered to everyone who will believe it. If you'll believe the gospel, if you'll believe in Jesus today, you can be saved. Paul says this here in Romans 10, 9, 11, and 12. He says basically, if you believe in your heart and confess it with your mouth that God has raised Christ from the dead, you will be saved. Our Lord Jesus Christ did all the work required to be at peace with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that in him, in Christ. My friend Don Fortner, who's now with the Lord, Don said 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the most important verse of Scripture in all the Bible. Because it says that God made Christ to be sin. He counted Christ to be sinful and then punished Christ as a sinner so that sinners could go free. Now, Don had, Don had some extreme views on this. Don would say it was more than just book work, more than just in, uh, it was more than just ticks on a page, more than an idea. He said it was a reality. It's a thing to think about. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. This is quite a statement. This is what God did. God, in His great love for sinners, laid on Christ the collective guilt of all who would believe and then crushed Jesus as if He were the vilest of sinners. Crushed Him on the cross. Charles Spurgeon says that when Christ was on the cross and Jesus breathed out His last breath, is that He breathed out His last breath because all of God's punishment for sin had fallen upon Him and crushed Christ. And that when Jesus finally said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit, the Bible says a great earthquake shook the world and the, all the rocks were broken. Some, some, some preachers, not theologians, theologians wouldn't say this, but some preachers say that every rock on the planet was cracked. All the rocks were shaken throughout the whole world. Spurgeon says, That's because 
that earthquake followed Christ's suffering. Because as long as Christ was alive, he was under the grinding heel of God. But then when Christ was dead, the price was paid, and that energy strikes the earth, boom, in an earthquake. Something magnificent takes place there, because after the earthquake, the Bible says that a resurrection took place. That the graves of people in Jerusalem were opened and the dead came to life and they walked through the city. This is mind-blowing stuff. But this is what God did to Christ to save you. To save you. To save you. This is truly love. And so the great, prom, the great privilege of a preacher is that his primary message is that there is a way to escape God's good and just judgment for sin, and that's through Christ. That's what you see in verse 13. This is the promise we proclaim. Never become so theologically accurate that you can't look at anybody and say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Number two, notice here in this reading, we have the proclaimers of the promise in verses 14 through 15, where the Lord says, where Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? Now, we all, we, we all know how this goes. Valerie and I were talking about it this week. This, here in, uh, in Sheboygan, we have this little uh, feed and seed store out there on the highway called Blaskowski's. Anybody ever been to Blaskowski's? Probably most people have been there. And last year... When we first moved here, we had to buy some winter shoes. And we went to Blaskowski's. They have this sale that goes on. Somebody told us about it. And we went to the sale, and we bought some shoes. We got good deals on all kinds of boots. Now, so just the day, Valerie, and I, we were talking, Matt, as Matt's growing. And, you know, last year he wore a certain size shoe. And this year his foot hath expanded. And the other day I was thinking about it. I said, Matt, go try on your, those muck boots and see if they still fit you. And guess what? They don't fit. So, we gotta, so I told Valerie, I said, we've got to hit that sale again so we can go over there and buy him some boots, you know. And so, but if we don't hear about the sale, if nobody tells us when it's going to be or when it's going on, we're going to miss it. And if we miss it, <laughs> we're going to be sorry. Because means we've got to pay full price. And there's nothing worse than paying full price. Of course, the best price is free. <laughs> so how can they believe if they don't hear about it? They have to be told about it. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? The proclaimers of the promise. This is, the, this is a special job given to God's servants And based upon Scripture, we can say that these proclaimers, that these are essential. Preaching and preachers are an essential part of Christianity. They're an essential part of the Christian church. Jesus, before he went back to heaven, he told the apostles, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The church is a preaching house. Martin Luther said that the church was a mouth house, a place of talking, a place of preaching. And it is through preaching that God has chosen to push his message 
around the world. So these people are essential. It's essential to have a proclaimer of the promise. And I'm using the word proclaim because the Greek word here for preaching is the word caruso, which means to herald or to proclaim or to declare. I'm here to declare to you good tidings of great joy. I'm here to declare to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an essential work. In this text, it says that they are sent. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, here is where I'll depart from some of my friends. Sent by whom? The word sent here is that same Greek word from which we get the word apostle. Apostello is here. Sent. An apostle is a sent one. An apostle is a designated messenger sent by someone who's in authority. Preachers are all, in some sense, apostles. That they're sent by God. You may say, well, I don't, you, may, you may not agree with that, but I would direct your attention to Acts chapter 14, verse number 14, where both Barnabas and Timothy are called, guess what? Apostles. Not in the same sense as the 12 apostles and the apostle Paul, but in the sense of being commissioned messengers. Sent by, not a church, sent by not presbyteries, but sent by God himself. It is God who makes a preacher. It is God alone who does that. Now, I grew up in the church house, and I can tell you for a fact, and I've said this, I've said this to you so much it's probably ad nauseum, is that God called me to be a preacher. And if God hadn't called me to be a preacher, I wouldn't be doing it. Because remember what I said at the beginning of it? It didn't look like that great of a job. Guess what? It's not that great of a job. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of kicks to it. There's a, there's a lot of fun to it. There's a lot of joy in it. But sometimes I'll see some guy out there running a backhoe. And I'll think, I bet nobody's going to call him and say, come pray with my dying loved one. Nobody's going to call him and say, my marriage is falling apart. How can I glue it back together? Nobody's going to call him. He's just digging that hoe. Now, I'm not, when I say that to you, I'm not saying don't call me when that happens. Call me when that's going on in your life. I want to help you. I want to pray with you. I want to take you to God's word and help you all I can. But I'm just saying that sometimes the work of being a, a minister can sometimes you think, oh, I wish I could do something else. And you say, well, that's because you're a weakling. Well, Listen to this. Listen to this. First of all, I ain't no weakling, Christine. (laughs) But listen to this illustration. The great John MacArthur himself said at certain points in his ministry, it seemed like there was more merit and virtue in digging ditches than in being a pastor. And that's the great John MacArthur. Yeah. You know what he is? He's a weakling. <laughs> because it's t- difficult. But it is God who makes preachers. It is God. Now, I've known a lot of guys who start out as preachers, and then they quit being a preacher. And I, got no, and I got no beef with any of them. But I know that God has put me in this work. 
That's what I'm supposed to do. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. It's something that's laid on you. It's a burden. In the Old Testament, there's that story about Elijah and Elisha. I just read it this morning. Where God says to Elijah, I want you to go down and anoint uh, Hazael to be king of Syria. Then I want you to go down and anoint Jehu to be the, uh, or the son of Jehu to be Jehu to be king of Israel in place of Ahab. And then I want you to stop by and I want you to let Elisha know he's going to be your replacement. Then Elisha, when he gets the call of God, he says to Elijah, let a double portion of your blessing, let a double portion fall on me. And Elijah says, thou hast asked a hard thing. And Elisha, indeed, if you read 2 Kings, Elisha does twice as many miracles as Elijah. Twice as many miracles. But the one thing that Elisha never has that Elijah has had is nobody ever respects Elisha as much as they respected Elijah. He's always doubted. He's always questioned. But he still does. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting job to have. But it's God who makes the preacher. Preachers are called and sent by God and not by man and not by churches. It is preachers. Preachers, in one sense, are exclusively God's men. And preachers know that, which is why they can be kind of hard-headed sometimes. That's why they can be knuckleheads sometimes. That's why they can be, you know, like me sometimes. <laughs> it's because they know they're God's men. Now, they're accountable to churches. In one sense, they are essentially the men of God, and we think of them that way. It's an important job. It's an important thing to be. They're sent by God. And then these men, they're not only essential and sent, they're also a blessing. They're a blessing to those who hear and believe. But to those who hear and do not believe, their work and their message is just foolishness. Listen to the reading from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. Listen to God's word here as the apostle talks about this. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
to those who hear and believe the gospel, they hear this talk about preachers and preaching, and a little bell goes off in their heart. And they realize, yes, that must be true. But to those who do not believe the gospel, those who have no deep abiding love for God, in their heart, it sounds like your alarm clock did this morning. Grating and irritating. I had an alarm clock when I was in college. It would go, wah, 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 wah. Oh, I hated that thing. And then I got an alarm clock that played songs. And that's, that's worse. You just, you just want to lay there and listen. And go back to sleep. Preachers are a blessing to those who hear and believe. It doesn't mean they're always a blessing in every single moment. <laughs> but it means that they bring joy. There's a blessedness in preaching. They're a blessing to those who hear and believe because if you are in a house of worship and there is a preacher in the pulpit preaching God's Word. Now, there are two kinds of preachers in the world, those who preach God's Word and those who don't. But if you are in a a house of worship where there's a, a man in the pulpit who's preaching God's Word to you, that means that God loves you and loves that congregation in a special way. Enough that He would put a man there with God's word, with a sense of calling and burden and urgency to preach God's word. Now notice verses 16 and 17. Here we're forced to ask a question. Is there a problem with the promise or is there a problem with the proclaimers because not everyone who hears believes. Listen to the reading. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. God's appointed means is this preaching of the gospel. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Who's believed it? Why haven't they listened? Look at verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have heard. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. What's going on here? If this promise is true... And if this promise is what's proclaimed, and if these special proclaimers have been sent by God to preach it, why is it that not everyone who hears this word believes? Why don't people believe the promise? Verse 16 is from the Old Testament. And what the apostle is doing here, in my opinion, because it's going to go into chapter, close into chapter 11, the apostle is saying that it takes more than just access or knowledge of the written word to come to faith. Because the Jews themselves, they had nearly constant access their whole existence to the word of God. And they heard Moses preach. They heard the Levites instruct them. But they still did not believe. Why is that? It's because they have to hear the word of Christ. Look at verse 17. Look at the reading. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So here's a statement. It comes through the word of Christ. Then verse 18. But didn't they hear it? Well, yes, they heard it. So what's going on here? 
Well, verse 17 holds some interesting things for us. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, the old version, the authorized version says the word of God here. Word of Christ, Word of God. You can read articles about this, and they kind of debate. They kind of debate this, but neither one changes the sense. What really, what we really don't understand, it seems, is the word "word" in verse seventeen. This word "word." There are three ways to say "word" in Greek. All right, this is. I hate to waste your time with this, but there's the logos which is word used all throughout the Bible. Sometimes Lagos refers to Jesus. Like John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the Lagos. And the Lagos was with God. And the Lagos was God. That's, that's one way. There's another word. the written word, the graphe, which is the, the written word or the inscripturated word. And then there is this other word for words, rhema. Now, if we were in Oklahoma, everybody would know about rhema. Because there's this big church in Tulsa called the Rama Bible Training Center. And it's kind of the center for the Word of Faith movement down there. Kenneth, Co- Kenneth Copeland. Is it Kenneth Copeland? No, it's Hagen. Hagen's at the Rama Bible Training Center down there. You can, those guys are all on TV. They're morphing with the Rama because the Rama is kind of a supernatural word. And here it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. It's not the Logos of Christ. It's not the graphe, not the written word of Christ, it's the rhema. Now this word rhema, it, it means a word of power, a word of utterance, or like a command. It's supernatural. One commentator would say that there is hearing the gospel preached, then there's really hearing the gospel preached. I was given this, a sermon similar to this in Oklahoma one time, and a lady after the service, I said in my sermon... How many of you guys heard the gospel the first time? How many of you got saved the first time you heard the gospel? And very few people raised their hand. Because that's not really how it works, is it? Usually you hear the gospel, you know, several, several times. And then finally, you know, you're, the preachers wear you down and, <laughs> and you believe. But after the service, this lady came up to me and she said, You know what? She said, I think... I did become a Christian the first time I actually heard the gospel. Because I had been at church hearing it, just hearing the information. But then on one particular Sunday, she heard the word in that rhema sense. A word of power. A word that was different. A word that struck her in one way. In a different way. Now this this is probably common to the people who grew up in church. I grew up in church, and I, and I hear preaching all, heard preaching all the time. But on one particular Sunday, something was different about it. Now, we could say that on one particular Sunday, it was an anointed word in a way it wasn't before. Not because my dad wasn't less anointed, but because on that particular day, God had anointed it for me in a special way so that I could hear it. My brother became a Christian when he was six years old. Can you believe that? Six years old. I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. What, what's, what's the, what, what is that, nine years difference? Nine years of sitting in the same P 
pew because I had to sit by my brother in church. And there's no, that, that's, that's a horrible kind of hell, isn't it? Having to sit by your baby brother in church. I hated it. I had to sit by my brother in church. I had to sit by my mom in church. I sit with my, with my mom and dad at home at over dinner most nights, and say probably half the nights of my life. My dad, right before we ate supper, would read the Bible to us, which was another special kind of torture because the food is hot. The beans are calling your name, and dad's reading the 119th Psalm <laughs> with exposition. <laughs> So for nine years, same Sunday school classes, same church, same songs for nine years, but, but when I was 15, in a different way. So the reason, there's not a problem with the message or the proclaimer. In fact, there's not a problem at all. The answer is, is that the word of Christ, God saves people according to his his timing, according to his timing, according to his purpose. You don't get to choose. It's up to God to do it. And if God decides to save somebody, they get saved. And and nothing can stop it. This word of Christ. Now, the, the way to really think about this in a Theological sense is they describe the preaching of the gospel in two ways. There is a a general call of the gospel, but then there is an effectual call of the gospel. So I'm doing the general call every week because that's all I have the power to do, is do the general call. But man, I, I really hope and pray every week. This is my prayer every Saturday, every Sunday, is that my preaching will not just be the general call, but the, through my preaching, there'll be an effectual call that opens the eyes of blinded sinners, that opens the ears of deafened sinners. Listen to Isaiah 50, verse number 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with him a word, a, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear. Jesus in the New Testament said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In the book of the Revelation, he says, Let let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There is an enabling that takes place in this effectual call. The reason the word is preached and that everyone believes is because God does not always intend for the word to bear fruit immediately. Sometimes he intends for the word to bear fruit later. And this is kind of frustrating. Because when I want something, when do I want it? Now. Old Dave Ramsey says, you shouldn't buy anything. You shouldn't buy a house or a car unless you've got at least 50% saved up. Who's got time for that? <laughs> Finance that stuff long and low. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Who's got time to save? Yeah, let's get it now. That's why, you know, here, you guys don't have it up here in Sheboygan, but down in Oklahoma and probably state, places further south, a lot of McDonald's are open like 24 hours. So you can get yourself a Big Mac anytime you want. 
anytime. Taco Bell's open until 3 o'clock in the morning. So if you can't sleep, just get some Taco Bell and stay up all night. <laughs> God intends the word to bear fruit later. And then if you look at John 12, 36 through 43, you'll see that God doesn't intend to save everybody who hears anyhow. And that's something that really we trip over. In that passage, listen to what it says. John 12. Listen to the reading from verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. These are, these are humbling words. This means that we do not owe our salvation to ourselves. We owe our salvation completely and totally to the grace of God. This is something you'll hear in Christianity when somebody becomes a Christian. Best decision you ever made. The smartest thing you've ever done is put your faith in Christ. Now, is that true? In one sense, it is true. But what enables you to make that choice? It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. It comes from God. So there's this effectual calling. Now, God normally does this through preaching. These are called, it's called the ordinary means. God has appointed preaching as the ordinary means by which he'll save sinners. Now, let's just have a, let's have a poll, all right? You guys all still here? Say amen. All right, because we're almost done. Oh, my watch is broken. <laughs> How many of you, as far as you know, became a Christian after you heard a sermon preached? Just put your hand up. Anybody else got saved any other way? Gospel track? Okay. So the, the normal expectation is that people hear a sermon and then they believe the gospel later. That's normal. In most churches where that's what you see, the majority of people are saved that way. But then there are extraordinary means. Not ordinary, but extraordinary means. Now the Bible's full of these kind of scenarios. Remember, Jacob is making a journey to get a wife from his mother's household. And how does Jabin, not Jabin, but how does Jacob become a follower of God? God appears to him in an angel. He wrestles, commits to God. The apostle Paul, he's on the road to Damascus. And how does he become a Christian? Jesus appears to him and knocks him off his mule and he gets born again. These are extraordinary means. Right now, in, in Islamic countries, 
we're hearing tons of testimonies. That's the weird, not like they're telling me, but this is something that's going to talk, they're talking about in the theological world, is in, in these Islamic countries where the Bible's against the law and preaching's against the law, non-Islamic preaching's against the law, there are people who are coming to faith through a dream. They're having a dream, and an angel is speaking to them, telling them that they should believe the gospel. Now, there's a part of me that wants to say, that's wacko. But, it's, but I think it's true because what they're confessing after this dream is the true gospel. Not a false gospel, not something that doesn't agree with Scripture, but something that does agree with Scripture. So there are extraordinary means that God uses to save people. In my opinion, this business of the dream is actually Revelation 14, verses 6 through 7 at work, where God is preaching the everlasting gospel to the nations in preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. These are, these are my own personal views on that. I'll leave you to think about that. Now let me give you six things you should do, okay? Six things you should do. Number one, you should value preaching. Place a high value on it. Pray for preach preachers. Pray for the one who preaches to you. Prepare to hear preaching by asking God to give you what you need or what he knows you need. There's a guy in my church in Oklahoma he would always say this. He'd say, uh, how many things would you have next week that you gave God thanks for this week? And he's kind of like, well... I wouldn't have <laughs> a lot of things that'd be short. But if you pray and ask the Lord to give you something during the week in the Sunday sermon, chances are, sometimes, you'll get what you pray for. Most of us don't pray about what we're going to hear on Sunday, and the Lord's good to us anyway, isn't he? Gives us exactly what we need. Secondly, I want you to think about believing the gospel. If you want to go to heaven... You have to believe the gospel for yourself. Nobody can do it for you. You have to do it. Your mom and dad can't do it for you, although they would love to do it for you. Your grandma and grandpa can't do it for you, although they would love to. Your husband and wife would, can't do it for you. They would love to do it. You have to believe yourself. Believe the gospel. Thirdly, read the Bible. The Bible is basically one big sermon. It's God's sermon to you and it covers every part of your life. Number four, make every possible effort to hear preaching because that's the primary way God has chosen to work in people's lives is through preaching. Make every effort to hear preaching. Now, unfortunately, here at Faith Baptist, we only have one preaching service a week, and that's Sundays at 1030. So you're limited on how many you can come to. You're only going to get 52 shots every year. So work hard to make it. Work hard to make it. Try to rearrange your schedule to make it. Just really try to make it. You say, well, you just want me to be here. Yes, I do. <laughs> there was a guy here a few weeks ago, and he, was, he said, after the service, he said, hey, Terry, I'm sorry for falling asleep during the sermon. I said, it's okay. I said, we can't count you if you're not here. <laughs> we can count the sleepers. <laughs> you know, it's hard coming to church. I know it. 
you have to you work you work hard all week you come in here and you get still and you know hear my melodic voice and just <laughs> lulls you to sleep i know it's tough but do your do your best to make it to church every sunday and some sundays some sundays you're going to come in you're going to come to church and you're going to go why did i waste my time i may have ever felt that way honestly only my kids. <laughs> and Ed Lacombe, raise their hand. <laughs> well, Christmas is coming. <laughs> Maybe, it's right. <laughs> well, you've got to remember that not every Sunday is about you. Some Sundays are about other people. And I wish that I could give a sermon that would ring everybody's bell every Sunday, but it's just not possible. Make every effort to hear it. Number five, bring the people you care about to hear preaching. If, that's the, if preaching is the primary way God has chosen to get his gospel across to people, bring the people you care about to hear preaching. School is less important than hearing sermons. And here's something you've got to keep in mind. Your kids, there are not a ton of kids here, but kids may look disinterested in the sermon. And, you know, I get a lot of that every Sunday. <laughs> People who look disinterested in the sermon. But you never know what's going on in somebody's heart, do you? You never know. Don't, don't discount what God is doing. Drag him in there. Drag yourself in there. Sixthly, let's all stand together. I'll give, let's all stand together. Because they are a gift to you, a gift to you.